Good morning. I'm, thank you. I'm from Perth and I'm freezing. We've got 38 Celsius today to start our summer off. So I'm cold. That's why I've got my jacket on. It'll come off in a minute, but I'm absolutely freezing. So anyway, great to see you guys and great to be in Port Lincoln for the first time. And uh, had a beautiful walk this morning and I went out there and just uh, thought, Lord, I'm feeling the calling. Just, just, uh, yeah, so beautiful. So uh, really, really lovely. So wonderful to be here and uh, be back in South Australia. And thanks, uh, Rob, so much for inviting me, mate. Uh, just great to be with you and Pauline and hang out last night and have lots of laughs and lots of fellowship. And uh, just really enjoy my time with you guys and uh, just really blessed to be here. So, and you should thank Pastor Rob. He's an awesome guy. Hey, so. And Pauline, awesome people. Actually, you can do a bit better for them because they're great. Come on, we can do a bit better on the clap. Come on, a bit better. Sometimes you don't know how blessed you are by the people that you have, you know, and uh, it's good when you come in, you know, and I get to come in and see who's here and I go, Lord, you've got great people in South Australia, got great people in these two, and, uh, and I know there's great people around the room, so it's fantastic to be with you and just a privilege to be able to speak to you today and share with you and uh, share with uh, God's mighty people here in South Australia because every one of you is very important to God, very valued by God, very loved by God. And God's uh, hope for South Australia is, uh, in this area, is in you. So there you go. And uh, I've discovered uh, long ago, it's not a political party. Anybody discovered that? <sighs> you did all your voting and it's nothing changed. Anyway, but uh, I've, got, I've actually got a federal politician in my church in Perth. And we raised up two state MPs in our church. Two young guys who worked in my car park. I thought, enough, enough time serving the car park. We put them both in politics, and now one of them's, yeah, one of them's now the Environment Minister for Western Australia, and the History Minister. He's only 34, and then he comes off State Parliament and works in my car park again on the weekend, and the other one is the state sitting member for our city. So we got them both in there, and uh, and I said to one of them, "Do you think politics is the hope for the world?" He said, "Definitely not." <laughs> So I said, do you think the church is? He said, yes, Pastor Jared, the church is the hope for the world. He says, I work in West Australian Parliament. It's the church. So be encouraged with what you're doing and what you're leading because uh, the church is the hope of the world. And we have the privilege of being a part of that and, uh, and playing a part in that, right? Actually, I should tell you a little story there because you'll be blessed by that. There was a guy who was in our parliament in Western Australia bringing every kind of evil thing into the parliament. He was working to do it. And, uh, and I just said to my eldership, we're getting that guy out. And I said, he has got to go. And so anyway, we started praying for one year as an eldership, and then we ran the young guy who uh, is in our front in our car park. Well, he won his seat first time and got elected into the West Australian Parliament. And he rang me from the Parliament, said, Pastor Jared, are you sitting down? I said, actually, I am. I was in my office. He said, uh, he said you know the guy you hate? I said, no, I don't hate him. <laughs> That's very harsh. He said, well, the one you want to get rid of. I said, yes, I know. He just lost his seat. He goes, that's right. He said, well, they just told him to move out of his office and they told me in an hour and a half to move into his office. So 20, at 28 years of age, in one year of us praying to get him out, the very guy who got out, the guy we ran from the car park, got his office. So if you don't think God can do stuff, we need to think again, don't we? Because God's a big God and he's well able to uh, position his people and to position you 
And, uh, and, let, and I just say that to say you're positioned by God. You're positioned by God. So just grab that because God's positioned you. He's positioned me. And you're here for an important time in the history of South Australia. Live, live large and live with wonder because really God has got a plan and you've got a part to play in that great plan right now. So, so awesome to be here. Let me, uh, I'll just bring greetings to my wife too. My wife Sue is awesome woman of God. We've been married 31 years and she is um, from England originally. Great. I'm from a crazy, crazy family. My dad was an alcoholic, but really terrible background. And my wife was getting involved in occult and all kinds of stuff when I met her. She came on a last-minute holiday before she married her medium boyfriend. And she was studying astrology. And so she got saved at the church I was at. And uh, we got introduced and then ended up getting married. Broke up with the astrologist medium. And I always say to my wife, isn't God got a sense of humor? He got crazy and the occult queen put us together and said, yes, you shall be pastors. <laughs> like, seriously, where does that happen? So to this day, we still go, we know it's the grace of God. We know it's the call of God. We know it's the hand of God. And both of us uh, from really, you know, very difficult childhoods, no Christian heritage. Uh, today, all, we got three sons, 26, 24, 22. The 26-year-old is our creative director on staff at church. and middle son works for the environment minister, and he's got also a marketing business. He's 24. And then the youngest son is our children's pastor, and he's just awesome. So we've got three boys who love God, love his house, and already I'm planning my grandchildren. They shall serve the Lord in Jesus' name. But, uh, but you do see what God can do when we let him do it. And, uh, and I want to pray for you and believe that God's hand on your life will extend to your family, firstly, but then out into your community in Jesus' name. So let me just pray for you as, as we start. So, Father, I just pray, Lord, for everybody here. Thank you, Lord, for the call of God on them. I just pray, Father, right now, Lord, as we share together around this time, Father, I pray, Lord, that you will say something to everybody. Thank you, Lord, that somebody will glean something. Pray, Father, you'll say something beyond what I say. Lord, you're going to speak. Even as I speak, you're just going to speak right into their situation. You're going to say what you want to say, Lord, and you're going to help people right now to begin to move forward. Somebody who's in neutral, to get out in neutral and take the next step or, or the first step or another step. Father, thank you, Lord, for growth in every ministry, growth in every church, growth in every department. I just pray it, Father, now, and I pray your blessing on everyone here. And I pray anywhere where the enemy has been attacking people with discouragement, I pray that that would be broken in the name of Jesus. And Father, you would flood everybody with value and life and light. And Father, we would all, Lord, rise up, not to who our church or community says we are, but who you say we are, Lord. So Father, I just pray that right now. Let everybody rise to who you say that they are. And Father, I pray that in this moment, we would treat it with value and dignity, the moment that we live in. And Father, that our churches and our ministries would multiply. I pray it and I declare it now. In the name of Jesus, and I pray, Lord, great wisdom for all of us, Lord. Give me wisdom, Lord. We need your wisdom, Father. So I pray, Lord, let there be wisdom today, Father. And we thank you, Lord, for your word that brings light and life. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen, amen. All right, well, I'm going to be uh, trying to be just practical about church today because, and I like to be practical because I often go to conferences and I'm so inspired, but I don't know what to do. <laughs> I go and hear a speaker and I go, that was awesome. It changed my life. And now I go back to church and I'm like, what do I do now? So <laughs> what do I do? So I'm going to be trying to be practical uh, because uh, I, I think it helps us if we're practical. Hopefully I'll 
be encouraging as well, but be practical. And uh, some of this will flow out of that. My wife and I took sabbatical a couple of years ago. And we traveled around Australia and then not all over Australia, but a few places. And then off to Europe, we went to Europe and we went to churches in Australia and Europe. And uh, it really spoke to my wife and I again about right thinking about church and right thinking about the house of God, right thinking about people. Because you can be called by God to preach and lead, but if you don't get people, you're really going to have a problem. And so I have to say, Lord, help us to get right thinking about you, right thinking about your church, then right thinking about people, because we can be actually working with people and taking them on the journey and inspiring them, or we can actually be slowing people down or stopping them. So, uh, so from the sabbatical, I'm going to talk a little bit about that and just bring some thoughts out of that. But first of all, let me just start off by talking about Christopher Columbus. I don't know why, but I will. But Christopher Columbus, who discovered America, when they found his journal after he died, he had written in his journal, he's the one who discovered America, and what was it, when it was 1600 and whatever it was. And in his diary, he wrote about his conviction, his confidence, his fervor, and his firmness. Listen to this, that God had singled him out of all men of his age, for the honor of bearing the light of Christ to the world and to the new world. So how awesome is that? He says he had confidence, conviction, fervor and firmness that God has singled him out of, out of all men of his age for the honor of bearing the light of Christ to the new world. So when I heard that and read that, it made me once again realize that you have been singled out for something in this age. You've been singled out for something. God doesn't say one person you're called and you have a destiny and, oh, gosh, shame about you. <laughs> and, and what are we going to do with you? I've got no clue. You know, God's not up in heaven with the angels going, angels, I need help on this one. <laughs> you know, he, he's just not. God's given you gifts, talents, abilities. And so you're singled out for something in this age and what we need to do and actually today is go, Lord, what am I singled out for today? And, uh, and God is the positioner. Some of you are positioned in Port Lincoln. Some of you are positioned in Wyala. Some of you are positioned in different places. I'm from Sydney, and then God moved me to London for six years after I was on staff at what was Hills Christian Life Center back in the dark ages. And uh, then we went to London, planted church for six years. Then I've been in Perth 17 years. So God is the positioner of his people but in that, he singled us out to do something. So I want to encourage you this morning, just as we start, what are you singled out for? What is it? And you need to know it, and you need to write it down. You need to write it down, and you need to know it. Husband, wife, single person, go, you know, as much as I know right now, when you're under 30, sometimes you're on the discovery journey, but by the time you hit 30, you really need to know something. You need to figure out something. And so my wife and I, we're good starters of things. We, we like starting. Not everybody can start things. Not everybody likes starting things. But Sue and I, we love starting church in England, and, uh, which became London Hill Song. And then we started church in Perth 17 years ago with six people. We started London with three. Thanks, Brian and Bobby. That was awesome. <laughs> things have changed there now. Thank God. And uh, then we went to Perth with six people. And so, and now, you know, we've got three services and churches doing good and, you know, but we like starting things. So we know we have, 
on us, yet we are called to start things. I just started a church in Zambia in Africa nine months ago. And, uh, and so now we've got nearly 200 people in Zambia, in Africa. We've got African pastors who came from London, joined our church in Perth. They were with us for six years. And like every time he'd speak, I was like, my gosh, you're a good preacher. And I knew he was wasted sitting in our church. So we sent him to Africa uh, nine months ago and they've started church. And surprisingly, it's costing me a lot of money, but what can you do? And uh, so I know that we're called to plant. I know we're called to pioneer. I know we're called to preach. I know we're called to pastor. I know we're called to love people. And so we're called to do that. So you've got to work out, what are you here for? What are you here for? And then this is really funny. Uh, I got a Victorian state conference uh, with Wayne and Shane Baxter. And uh, Benny Perez, who's at the national conference, says to me, uh, Jared, come out the front two nights in a row. Now, I'm trying to do church planning in Australia at the time with Wayne, encourage it and, you know, help along. And Benny Perez gets me out two nights in a row. Jared, for you and Sue, it's just nations. And he didn't know I'd just gone to Africa. And then he says, Germany, God's calling you to Germany. He says, does that mean anything to you? And I went, absolutely nothing. (laughs) So he goes, Germany, come on, you know, schnitzel. I'm like, doesn't ring a bell, nothing happening there. So Benny Prezzer says, are you serious? I said, I'm sorry. Anyway, we go home a month later. A couple who got saved with us three years before in Germany, been our Bible college for two years, come to me and said, they were trying to stay in Australia. They came in, he said, every time I go for residency, I can feel God's against it. And, he, and I said, okay, what does that mean? And he said, we believe we're called to go back to Germany and start Global Heart Church in Germany. This is a month later. I was like, oh, it's you. <laughs> Okay, so when I saw Benny Perez at the National Conference, that was at the State Conference, I said, Benny, you know how we were going to stone you last conference? He goes, oh, yeah, that's right. He goes, my weird prophecy about Germany. I said, oh, no, you actually, you do hear from God. <laughs> he goes, oh, thanks, you know. So, so anyway, so, so I know we're meant to do that. So you've got to know what you're meant to do, everybody. And, and you've got to know what you're meant to do. Because if you don't play your part, the kingdom misses out. But some people, we've got our eyes on other people's parts. And you've got to get your eye on your part. The kingdom misses out if you don't play your part. And some of you got hospitality gifts. Please use it. <laughs> because some people are sitting there and they go, how can God use me? And they're the most hospitable person. We've got a woman in our church. She cooks like, oh, she cooks like Jesus would have wanted cooking in his day, I'm sure. She's amazing. But she thinks she's got no gifts in the church. I'm like, as soon as you do your hospitality deal, everybody is so blessed. You've got to use your gift, everybody. But I want to encourage you, nail what yours is. Have a, have a good, good overview of what it is. And uh, because if you do, then you're going to realize, hang on, then you're going to start to realize things because you're focused. Many of us aren't focused because we're like, should I be there? Should I be Pastor Rob? Should I, should I be this lovely girl who leads us in worship up here? Only if you can play the keyboard beautifully and sing beautifully. Otherwise, no. <laughs> so, but work out who you are. And then bring it so that the kingdom and the community and the city is blessed in Jesus' name. So, um, all right. So talking about leaders again and building church, you know, the best definition of leadership is influence. So we've always got to ask ourselves, how's my influence going? If I'm not influencing anybody, I'm actually not leading them. You know, uh, so if I'm influencing people to serve God, to walk into God's plan for their life, to become part of the church, I'm actually leading. Um, if I'm not influencing anybody, I'm just going for a walk. <laughs> no one's following me. 
So I've got to always keep assessing how am I going with my influence? What do I need to do that will help me develop more influence? Is it my words? Is it how I carry myself? Is it how I speak to people? Um, we're going to realize the power of influence. And uh, yeah, so I'll talk a little bit more about words down the track, but, but I just want to encourage you to work out, say, Lord, I want to nail some of the things of who I am. Help me to get clear focus there. And then help me to use that influence, Lord, for the building of your kingdom in Jesus' name. And then realize that the enemy is going to attack you straight after. <laughs> the moment you start to get a handle on that, then boom, the enemy is going to come. You know, every person who's serving God and building the kingdom of God, you will have attack. It's just unfortunate that we sometimes forget that we entered into uh, a war zone when you're going to serve God. We're going to teach our leaders and people you're in a war zone. And so <laughs> it's just a reality. And, uh, you know, we're, we're between... We're caught in the middle of uh, two kingdoms, aren't we? God's kingdom, the enemy's kingdom. We're living in the middle. And there's this battle for the minds, the hearts, the souls of people. And so I want to encourage you as leaders, remember you're in a battle. And remember you need Jesus. And, uh, but the good news is Psalm 34 verse 4. I'll give you this point, which I was going to say, just remember, seek God daily and weekly. Because I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. So Psalm 34 verse 4 tells us God delivers us from our fears, but I think that's because the devil's going to give us some. So the devil's always trying to intimidate you. If you're doing anything for God, you'll be intimidated. You'll be intimidated. We had a guy, uh, we, this year we stepped out, probably this year we've got more sacrificial this year than we ever have, to be honest. I'm like, Lord, help me. Jesus, amen. This is challenging. We stepped out uh, and planted the church in Africa. We're going to plant the church in Germany. I'm just about to head off there shortly. We uh, stepped up our compassion sponsorship as a church. I really, really got into people inspiring, uh, sponsoring, sponsoring children. If you sponsor a children, a child, I'm going to hug you after this meeting service because I go to Rwanda many times. And to see what you do when you sponsor a child, I thought it would be big in the child's life. I didn't realize it was massive. It's massive in the community. So we now sponsor 621 children. Thank you, Jesus. And then the Lord said to me, I went back to Rwanda, and the boy we first sponsored when he was nine, who lost his grandparents, aunties and uncles, and everybody in the genocide, God said to me, move him into your house. So then I had to tell my wife that. <laughs> she was like, what? I said, yeah, and I really felt God told me to move him into a house. She goes, what? So I went to Rwanda and met his family here alive and been there seven times, now six times. And so this year, I gave him a scholarship to our Bible college and moved him into our house. And uh, so he's living in my house right now. He's 21 and uh, calls me dad, thinks I'm dad, gets the whole concept. He's real smart, real nice kid. And uh, just, yeah, he's just doing fantastic in our Bible college. And anyway, but I moved him in the house. And, and what happened was I brought him out on the stage because people, we were always encouraging people to sponsor children. And then I said, and by the way, the one that we first sponsored, Justin, who members I've mentioned him, had photos of him a little. I said, well, he's here today. And he walked out on the stage. And the whole church is, oh, they all started, you know, and the women, everybody started crying. And then I said, and by the way, he's moving into our house, you know. Well, I thought that everybody would be really excited about that. Do you know that's given me such a spiritual battle? It's an interesting deal. People are interesting. No, yeah. It's like all hell broke loose. Because what happens is we're taking people on a journey when you're building kingdom of God, you're building church. You're taking people, people come in from little suburban broken lives 
And we're saying, hey, come up here. We're saying, hey, let's love a little bit more. We're saying, hey, let's grow in our character a little bit more. Let's get generous. Okay, before you know it, you're saying that people come here, right? So, so I, got a, I got a guy who's been in our church for 14 years, sends me this out-of-the-thing bizarre thing saying, I had a dream last night and you were so sick in it, like in the dream. And he's running, you were so unwell. And da 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 It's like this really, I'm like, get behind me, Satan. So the more we're doing giving and loving and sacrificing, suddenly it's all heated up and the bizarre it's got. So I'm showing my pastors and they're like, oh my God, what is that? Like it's this craziest, sickest text. I said, I knew that was going to happen when I moved that kid in our house. So it's like Jesus had it. Jesus walks into town and the Pharisees, uh, friend of sinners, wine-bibber, son of the devil. <laughs> when Jesus walked into town, he pushed up all the flotsam and jetsam that was in the hearts of the Pharisees. So whenever Jesus walked in full of grace, love, holiness, he pushed up their lack of it. And what do people do with it when it comes up in their heart? They give it to you. Here, Rob, this is who you are. Because <laughs> people don't see things as they are in reality. They see things as they are. So the Pharisees judge Jesus by them. So in your church, people will judge you by them. So whatever's, you know, so the moment you start to lead, you're a controller. Because they're controlling. They're trying to get you to give them authority and control the pastor. But when you lead genuinely from authority that God's given you, you're the controller. But that's not you, that's them. Because people who don't see things as they really are, they see things as they are. So I'm always interested in what people say because it reveals to me who they are. They talk about another person. Oh, okay, that, you just told me what's in your heart. So that's always interesting. So when you're in leadership, so, so as you get, I'm telling you, it's the most busiest sacrificial year, but I've had some of the most attack ever this year and personal attack. And it's like the devil saying to me, stop sponsoring children. How dare you move somebody from the genocide into your house, telling people to go and sacrifice and love. How dare you go to Africa and do that? I can feel the enemy saying to me, how dare you do that? So when you step out, you've got to realize God's with you. I sought the Lord <laughs> and he delivered me from all my fears because uh, the fears rose this year as I stepped out. Some of that comes from people. People are interesting. People are so interesting. Jesus calls us to love them. I think Mother Teresa said, you know, when they steal from you, love them anyway. When they hate you, love them anyway. When they curse, you love them anyway. That's ministry. And so you've got to love people, but just realize sometimes they're dumb. They're not mean. They're just dumb. They can't see what's going on. They can't see where they're at. They can't see what's happening here. They haven't got perspective from a kingdom perspective. They have it usually from some place where they got hurt in 1973. And so you start counseling and you're like, hang on, and then what happened? And then, okay, and then it turns out, this is from 74. Come on. I thought it was last week. Oh, this is 74, 1970. All right. So, yeah. So, so anyway, so keep seeking the Lord, everybody, and realize you're not alone when working with people. But that some of them are amazing, some of them are incredible, some of them can be the biggest blessing in your life, and some of them are going to be such a pain in the neck. But you have to love them. You have to love them. 
and you have to say, Lord, give me fresh love, but at the same time, God, keep me from fear and keep me from carrying stuff in my heart. Leviticus talks about the priest putting the uh, burnt offering on the, on the altar and making sure the fire doesn't go out in the book of Leviticus. Really, it's talking to all of us in ministry. Make sure that you are sweeping out the ashes of yesterday, the ashes of hurt, the ashes of re- regret, the ashes of rejection from your heart so that you can come to church every week free. So you need to make sure that like that priest, you're keeping the fire burning by saying, Jesus, I give you Mabel this week because <laughs> she tried to get into my heart. I give you Fred this week because he tried to get something in there and it's trying to put the fire out. Lord, help me to keep that fire on the altar burning because in the Old Testament, God said, don't let the fire go out. Do not let that fire go out. Just take the ashes out. So in ministry, it's a lot about clearing the ashes out, the ashes of hurt, the ashes of failure, the ashes of rejection. Uh, if Jesus had a Judas, you'll probably have somebody around, you know. So sometimes we can't, we can't I can't believe that person. Yeah, yeah, you can. Jesus was traveling with Judas and uh, who was, uh, you know, going to sell him for 30 pieces of silver. And in fact, Jesus says, oh, who will I give the money back to? Oh, let's give it to you, Judas. So Jesus already knew he had money issues and gives him the money bag, makes him the treasurer. Okay, like some of you have done. And then later you said, why the heck did I give them that? And God said, because I told you to. Anyway, so, uh, so yeah, so let's keep sweeping that out. And, um, and the Lord will keep delivering us in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, yeah, so building church and leadership, you know, we're just going to, understand that what we say and do emphasizes and highlights things. So uh, you multiply what you highlight. You multiply what you give platform to. So who we put on the platforms, who we put in leadership, these things are all growing, you know. So you've got to realize that don't despise the day of small beginnings. The book of Zechariah tells us that. But who you give place to, who you give leadership to, that will grow and multiply. And same with me. I'm giving focus to Africa and to child sponsorship. Because I've been on this journey where, you know, uh, the, the Lord has been really, you know, teaching me out of James again, you know, true religion is to look after widows and orphans. It's not to get a preaching platform. You know, this is true religion, true, which is true Christianity, is to look after widows and orphans to those who are in need. And our world, you know, has got so many challenges. Um, and Jesus has called the church to be the answer. Imagine if every church did what God called them to do to help people. Wow. So I think we could have such amazing impact. But I've got to realize what I give attention to, what I emphasize, who I put on the platform, all of these things multiply. So you've got to think about that because that multiplies. The lead, the people, what's in them multiplies. What I talk about multiplies. What you give attention to will multiply. So if you don't want that to get attention, don't talk about it. But if you want attention to it, talk about it. Um, you know, some people say, I don't want, like talking about money in church. Well, then have none. <laughs> So, end of story, because if you want to have it, you've got to talk about it, give it attention. But how you give it attention, you know, it's not beating up the sheep. It's not getting weird like, you know, some American TV evangelists, you know, send me $10,000, you know, so the TV shows. I'm like, no, send thousand thousand bucks yourself to American uh, to, to an African orphanage. Send them $10,000. Your ministry would take off and God will look after the TV station. Anyway, but what we, what we speak into, what we give attention to grows. So you've got to think about that. What am I emphasizing when I talk, when I lead at my church, but then do it in a way that's life-giving, not a way that is going to actually 
kill people. Sometimes we don't realize we killed people when we were trying to inspire them. So just think, hang on, how am I going with that? Ask your wife, she'll tell you. <laughs> Ask your wife to fill you in. When Sue and I moved to England to start church, my wife's from London, after one year, I'm preaching away at all these British in England, I'm giving it to them in Jesus' name. And then after one year, I said to my wife, how am I going? She said, well, I'm leaving. <laughs> I went, what? She goes, I'm out of here, I'm leaving. I said, why? What's the matter? What am I doing? She goes, oh, these poor people. She goes, secretly, you're telling them in their message uh, really, you should be Australian. So she said to me, you meant to be telling them they should be kingdom culture people, not Australian. I went, oh, am I doing that? She goes, yes. <laughs> I said, okay, you too? I'm going to work hard on that one. So yeah, I had to make that adjustment. <laughs> so not only were they leaving, she was leaving with them anyway. <laughs> so, so just think about your delivery on things because, uh, you know, we can learn from our particularly our partners, but people around us, as to whether what we're wanting to achieve is being achieved in Jesus' name. So, all right. Matthew 16, verse 18. This is point two, by the way. <laughs> um, I'm doing removing, talking about removing blockages to growth. You know, Jesus says, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I'll build my church. So Jesus loves his church. And uh, he's building it, and we're called to be fellow workers. You know, he, we're called to disciple, go and make disciples. But ultimately, God's got to build the church. And, but he said to us, your role is make disciples. So just remember that is the key role of leaders is that we are to make disciples at leadership level, youth level, kids level. We're making disciples, people who will follow Jesus. Um, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> okay, so... One of the key things that we need to do to disciple people is, and I say this, this is ad nauseum if you've ever heard me before. I say it, but it's so important because some people don't get it. 1 Chronicles 12 is the passage for you to have tattooed on your forehead. <laughs> so if you ever think you're getting a tattoo, get that one. Tattoo your congregation with it. Because that passage really would stop all the church splits around the world. Have you ever seen a church split? If you haven't, fly around the room. We'll all worship you. Anyway, <laughs> they happen all over the world. Why is that? Because most Christians have no clue about how to approach the church, how to approach leadership, how to approach uh, God's house, what heart motivation to have. So I want to touch on this quickly, and I have, it's, this is a whole message, but I don't want to do it all today. But... This is such a key thing. And if you haven't got this operating in your church, and I want to encourage you, go home and teach on it for a year, because you would stop all the fighting, backbiting, and schism in your church, because the bottom line is found in this chapter of how to approach church and leadership. In the passage 1 Chronicles 12, I'm going to give you the short version, just really quickly. Um, the Bible talks about David in that passage, and the mighty men are now being drawn to David in 1 Chronicles 12. And David really represents spiritual authority. He represents spiritual leadership. And by the way, as we know, uh, when um, Samuel came to anoint the new king of Israel, uh, Jesse brought all of his sons out. David didn't even make it to the list. 
So that's why uh, you and I are here, because after they'd been through the list, uh, Jesus said, no, it's these ones here, <laughs> the anointed ones, after they'd been through everybody else that they could have had. And uh, so David represents a spiritual authority. Now what happens, God starts drawing these warriors to him, and the Bible talks about some of them are leaders of tens, hundreds, thousands, and some of them were able to take out um, enemies of, at that level of numbers, but they had authority over various groups, 10, 100, and 1,000. And, but they come and gather to David just as God draws people to his church, people he saves and people he adds to a house. Now, in that passage, David goes out to them and says one thing to them as they're coming. And he's, he doesn't say to them, oh my gosh, you are a Bible teacher. We have heard about you. You've been teaching at Tabor. You've been at Influences. You are amazing. Your reputation's huge. He doesn't go out and say, wow, we heard about your prophetic gift. Oh my gosh, you build a church. He doesn't go out and start raving on about their gifts. David goes out and says to them in 1 Chronicles 12, 17, he says, if you've come peacefully to me to help me, my heart be united with you. And then he says, so verse 17, if you come to help me, then peacefully, he says, our heart be united. Then he alludes to this. He says, but if you've come to betray me, then let the God of our fathers look on it and let him decide about you. So basically he says right in that passage, you've either come to help me as the anointed leader or within you already is betrayal. Within you already is betrayal. We've got to teach our people this because, and I would bring it out once every 18 months, preach it at church. So I keep getting people coming from other churches, and you know they go and bring all their betrayal with them. <laughs> what does that betrayal mean? They were disappointed at the other churches in Perth. They didn't get the job on the ministry team. They didn't get the job on the staff. They didn't get the job here. And so now they're coming to your church. <laughs> and so, and then they're like, well, it's, I thought I'd get a job here. I moved here because I thought, well, that's the very... They moved to your church to be a big pain in the neck. And no, they moved there to bless you, bless you. So they came in, but they didn't come to help. They came to get their way. And they, some of them are the most gifted people. Some of them are the most gifted. Anyway, so David alludes to the fact, if you haven't come here to help me, then you'll betray me. It'll just be a matter of time. So the bottom line is, which we've got to teach all of our people, is the only way to approach the house of God and the key leadership couple is to help. When I was uh, years ago, an intern for Brian and Bobby Houston, back in the dark ages. But uh, when I was an intern there, I can remember saying to God one day, thank you so much, God, that Brian and Bobby are going to launch me into all of my gifts and what God's got for me. And I remember clear as anything, God said to me, I haven't brought you here to launch you. I brought you here to help them. And then down the track, I was reading that passage and went, oh, my God, it's in the Bible. What a shock. <laughs> it's actually in the Bible. Oh, I was supposed to be help Oh, I was supposed to be helping them. I thought they were meant to be helping me get to my destiny. I've been to a Bible college and I've had at least three good prophecies. Come on. Brian and Bobby, you need to launch me, baby. And God said to me, No, you're here to help Brian and Bobby. And I had to go on a, a journey from here's from this side, my gifts, my talents, my prophecies, my dreams slash fantasies, my I had to move from there in my heart to I'm here to help Brian and Bobby fulfill the destiny that God had called them to do. For that season, God's got me there. 
And now some of you think, oh, that was a nice little journey in your heart. Yeah, that was three and a half years, people. <laughs> that was a three and a half year journey to go, I think I'm at helping now. Because before I was like, I wonder where this is going to get me. So you've got to take your people on that journey. Everybody here, you're still in the kingdom of God to help. You're at what, if you're senior leader, you're here to help. Sue and I are just here. Are we helping? I say to the Lord quite occasionally, are we helping here? <laughs> he says, no, not today, you're not. <laughs> so, all right, I'll try and work on that. But uh, we're all still here to help. And, you know, um, Rob said before, I ended up on the national executive. And I did not want to be on the national executive, particularly because I lived in Perth and I knew everything was on the eastern states. But it's nice for WHA to have a representative. But I, I was like, you know, I'm outside the country and things I'm already involved in. And then Brian Houston texts me and says, I want you to take this nomination, go on the national executive. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I'm a beautiful Christian, aren't I? <laughs> Actually, I'm honest. No, no. <laughs> so anyway, and then I said to Brian, the wrong, I knew it was the wrong thing, but I thought, it's the Bible, I have to say it. So I said, okay, Brian, do you think this will be a help in the country? Will I be helping? Do you seriously? We live in Perth. You know I'm involved other places and stuff. Will it be help? He said, yes, it will help. I'm sunk. So then I'm like, no, it's in the Bible as well. <laughs> so I'm like, you never escape from helping. You never, well, no, I've moved from helping now. I'm now at a new level. I've come to a new level in God. Yeah, my new level was more sacrifice <laughs> and do that. So do you understand what I'm saying? But we have people come to our churches who never get to that level and they just came out year one of the Bible college and they're telling you what for. It's like we have to teach everybody, Bible college, everybody in our leadership team, you have to move, come on the three-year journey, <laughs> three-year journey. <laughs> Somebody said, how different was that for you from that hard attitude to that? I said, do you know the word abyss? <laughs> It's like traveling across an abyss. It was like totally different. I wasn't even on the same page, not even close. So in our churches, we have Christians sitting in our rows who are, there's an abyss of difference from one chair to the other because of heart attitude. Are you here to help? You here to help. And then, then uh, I think uh, one of them says, uh, we are a son of Jesse. We are yours. We are yours. And he said, peace to you. Peace be upon you. Now, peace there. Hebrew peace was not just cessation of war. It was also favor and prosperity. So when people start to genuinely help in your church, peace, favor, and prosperity comes on their life. Peace, favor, and prosperity. That's what the word peace means there, the Hebrew word. So we've got to encourage people. There's a payoff when you move to helping. <laughs> there's a payoff when you get to that place in Jesus' name. So help people. But this is why... We say, I just can't believe that that happened with so-and-so in our church. How did that happen? I can. Never read 1 Chronicles 12. Never have understanding that the only reason you're in the church under the leaders is to help them. And if you bring your gifts, your talents, your teaching, your prophetic, and say, I'm here to help you, guess what? When we put them all together, God grows the church. And God then says, because your motivation is right, I will use you and raise you up to the highest level I can raise you. But he's just waiting for us to get to helping. We, we had a couple in Perth who were teaching in the bar, one of the key Bible colleges. They were older. They came to us. And uh, I was, my wife was like, mm, they're after something. <laughs> 
she's she's cheeky. And I said, are they? She goes, yeah, I I can feel they're after something. This is in the first couple of years. And I said, okay. So she said, go slow with them, all right? And I was like, oh, I think they're great. And I said, (laughs) listen to your wife. (laughs) So anyway, so... So what happened was we had an, an older couple there, they're now in their 70s in England, but they were with us in London, getting the church off the ground in London. They came from a conservative congregational church, joined us, became grandparents to our boys. Our grand, their grandparents, well, one lot was dead, the other lot not very good. God said, okay, here's the grandparents for them. So they were a huge blessing to us in England, absolutely wonderful. And to this day, we just love them, and I'm going to see them in a month or so. They're back in England now with their two grandchildren there, so they've moved back over. But we brought them four years into Perth. I said, let's bring them. Let's see if we can get them a visa and bring them over. We brought them over, and they become part of our pastoral team in Perth for maybe eight, ten years. And uh, anyway, so in their older couple. So when I announced at church that we were going to bring this older couple to be with us from England, the couple who were trying to get a job, she walks up to me and says, that's lovely. That's lovely. I think that's really good for you too. And while she's saying it to me, I'm thinking, you don't mean that. I can hear your lips, see your lips moving, but I'm hearing something else. Anyway, yeah. So I was like, okay, thanks, eh? Thanks for that. Anyway, next day we had leadership day. I had a guest speaker in. It was fantastic. All our leaders were really on. this great unity, great spirit. She walked up to me in the middle of the unity moment. Everybody's hugging. Everybody's in the one direction. She walks up to me and she says, Jared, this is a coffee time. Jesus is sweet and altogether lovely. And I went, <laughs> and, uh, uh, and the point is, and she just went, and I went, oh, I'm not. <laughs> and she just went, This is a lecture from the Bible College from another place. I said, okay, we'll have a little chat later. Anyway, and what happened was, turns out there's another couple they got, they linked up within the church. They're having private fellowship together, building a church within our church. And, uh, And what happened was this couple who were Ken and Barbie, they were blonde and beautiful. Everybody loved them. Except my wife again. <laughs> my wife's like, oh, Ken and Barbie, I don't know, I don't know. So anyway, so, so they've linked up. They're doing church together. got other couples involved. Anyway, so she said to me, that poor couple, you should be raising them up. I've been doing Bible college for years. They should be raised up. And you're like me? So anyway, anyway, cut a long story short. I'm just saying this because to give you real life, this is what happens. Here we are doing a good thing, going ahead. And having to deal with this nonsense from people who still, after lecturing in the Bible college for years, are not helping. They're not helping. Still haven't got it. About to split my church. And they've been lecturing in a key Bible college in our city. I rang the pastor and said, hey, thanks for sending me so-and-so without a wake-up call. He said, I said, why didn't you tell me something about this couple? He says, oh, I just thought you'd sort them out. I said, yeah, after two or three years, trying to work out what the heck's going on. Anyway, so Ken and Barbie, who seemed all sweet, I got him in and said, what's happening with you? There's something going on there. And then he goes, yeah, I've had an affair. I was like, oh, here comes the the terms. It's like the movie Tootsie. Where are we going with this? (laughs) And he says, I've had an affair. She's controlling me, his wife. This is Barbie, who everybody loves. And he says, oh, she won't forgive me. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, Jesus, help me now. 
So I've got this couple hating me because I won't raise them up. He's had an affair. She's controlling him. I went home and said to my wife, you know how my dad was an alcoholic? She said, yeah, I said, pour me one. <laughs> she said, what? I said, heaven help me. <laughs> Make it a double love. Anyway, no. I said, I can't do that. I'm in the ACC. Anyway, so no, but I said, but I realized all of this hell's now breaking out. This couple could have got healed, but now they've linked up with you two. So now you're putting your poison in them. And I said, and all this is flowing from no insight on 1 Chronicles 12, which, which is the insight on how to approach authority and the church. You're here to help. You're here to help. You're here to help. 1 Chronicles 12, teach your worship team, your band, your youth. You're here to help. There's no, that's the bottom line for everybody else. And then God will raise up your gifts. Otherwise, it's amazing how you get super talented, gifted people. You can't use them. You can't use them because they're not here to help. So, but let's remember ourselves, we have to be here to help. I have not graduated from no helping now. <laughs> There's no graduation. Oh, well, you can stop now, 50, 53. You've done a couple of church plans. Yeah, you don't have to help now. No, there's no graduation for Christians to stop helping. So we need to all say, is this what I'm doing, helping in Jesus' name? I'll ask Rob later. <laughs> He'll say, no, that wasn't helping at all. All righty. So anyway, so have a look at that passage, but that's the reason we have so many challenges so often is people don't get. The bottom line is you're here to help. Building the church with Jesus, making disciples. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. I just said that, Zechariah 4. I found that gold is mostly found under the dirt and, uh, and under the rock, and it's protracted, there's a protracted time of excavation. So in your church, there's a protracted time of excavation. Some of the people I thought would be fantastic, they're long gone. The ones who gave me undying speeches, Pastor Jared, I will be here. They will have to carry me out in a box. Well, they carried them out a month later, which was surprising, as they were gone with the wind. And then other people who you thought, Will they stay? Is anything happening? Some of them become the most amazing leaders and people with us. So don't despise. Speak well into your people and speak life into them and speak well at home as well behind the scenes because sometimes we can be speaking stuff behind the scenes and killing the miracle at church. So I want to encourage everybody. Speak well of your people and, uh, and spark, spark, start to see in Jesus' name as you speak that God is able to do stuff with your words. Our our Words have great power, Proverbs 18, 21, power of life and death. So let's, let's speak words of life. You know, your church needs a faith-filled leader, everybody. So we should, when we're building God's church, as in he's building it, but we're fellow workers and we're making disciples, but he's the builder, we need to also realize that faith um, is so important. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So you cannot please God if there's not faith flowing, but just don't make your faith crazy. We need to underestimate and overachieve. Underestimate and overachieve. People get scared when the pastor gets up and says, this is what we're going to do. You know, Kmart, we're buying it in a month's time. <laughs> Perfect for our church. Everybody's like, this guy's insane. But this happens in churches where people get excited, but they don't realize we've got to have bite-sized vision. 
So I want to encourage you, have faith, grow in your vision, but bite-size it. Bite-size it. Another bite. Over, uh, what is it? Underestimate and overachieve. So we bought an old dump of a house years ago, and uh, I was all excited about it because it was like, whoo, we're going to own this old dump. And I remember putting it up on the screen. I was excited because I could see future from it. Put it up on the screen, the whole church went, oh. <laughs> and, and it was like this slow clap, like, I was like, oh, that didn't work. I won't do that again. <laughs> I killed the vision. Went, <laughs> this old rundown thing. People were like, what did you? And I could, people come and say to me, all the best with that, you know. But then we bought another old dump. <laughs> and by now I got up and I knew they were all laughing at me. So I said, hey, we have two old dumps. <laughs> and people were like, woo. <laughs> but you know what? And then again, like other cities in Australia, the house price has doubled and the old dump's got a bit of traction, you know. So, but you've got to bite-size it for people. Sometimes people buy out if they don't trust us. They feel like, hang on, you're a bit crazy here, you know, uh, and they buy out of the vision. So I want to encourage you, be faith-filled. Make sure you're giving vision because people, with, you know, without a vision, people perish. Young people will join the church because, man, this couple's going somewhere. They'll, they'll join because there's, there's vision here. There's some expectation. There's some excitement. God's meeting things. But just bite-size it underestimate and overachieve. If you're saying you want, you know, 10 people, will then get 11. Everybody's like, man, we had 11. <laughs> you know, woo. <laughs> so so just, just have faith, but then hold to it. Hold to it. Don't be crazy. This has thrown more churches off course as well than anything else because everybody got excited, but it just was too much too soon. And as I said, a lot of people are leading really small lives. And when we come out with, you know, this MGM production vision, people are like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> who's paying for that? Oh, me. <laughs> so, so take them on the journey and help people to grow in faith with you. And uh, that'll be awesome. Last year, I got a vision, um, and I'll finish with this and we'll have a break. I got a vision to, um, to put shoes on children's feet. So... Uh, in our area, I just noticed, particularly for single parents, a lot of their big expenses is putting shoes on the kids. And so uh, I, I just told my wife about it, and I just wanted to, around the Christmas period, get some shoes and put them on kids' feet. So anyway, I started talking to this, my wife, and then I, I approached this guy who's only saved 18 months. And I just prayed, and his face came up in the press. So I just said, Lord, I'm going to approach him. So I went and said, Craig... I got this idea to put shoes on kids' feet. Does this mean anything to you? And he said, I can't believe you're saying that. I said, why? He said, my wife and I talked about this about five years ago. We weren't even Christians, about helping put shoes on children in need. I said, really? I went, wow, you're the one. <laughs> so anyway, so he and his wife came in, and they were so excited because they'd had a conversation on a Saturday about it three years before my conversation. So the next minute, we approached Nike and Puma and all these companies. and uh, And so... They, Nike said no. They said just don't, not just do it. <laughs> and uh, but Puma said, yeah, we'll give you eighty pairs of shoes. They gave us eighty pairs of brand new joggers for kids. So we got all these parents in our church and outside of our church and said to them, hey, bring your kids in. We're going to measure their feet. We'll tell you why later. Measure the kids' feet. When the kids came in, we had we had all characters, barbecue characters. We dressed up, fun pits, and all these solo parents, predominantly, or parents who the the mother or dad was sick or whatever, they came in and we made a huge store with the child's name on it 
with a brand new pair of Puma joggers, which they wear mainly joggers to school in Perth, probably here as well. And so all the kids open the box and here's these colored joggers, which made them cool. So this year we had, we went out, asked people and told business people, so far they've given us $11,000 for shoes. Plus we, one of the companies has given us a hundred pairs of shoes and uh, at half price, we've got to pay half the price, but it's really, really good. Then all this other stuff. So we were able to go to a school that we're ministering into and said, have you got any uh, parents who are sick or solo parents? And, what I, and my team, I want to do it in October. I said, no, you're doing it at the week of Christmas. It says, when you are from a poor family like I was, you'll get, the best thing mum's going to do is Christmas lunch. If you get a brand new pair of uh, ASICS shoes, we're getting ASICS this year, people. ASICS, welcome. So the mother is going to be relieved that her kids got the shoes. Three pairs. One mother's getting three pairs. So her kids have brand new, the coolest shoes for school. She, we're going to do all other things too for the kids. And then she can cook Christmas dinner. That's it. She's got enough of that. She'll be good to go. And so now I've got 11000 bucks for shoes, all this thing. But it started little. I said, let's get some shoes, you know. Let's see if we can get some. I thought if we got 20 pair, I was really going to be, woo. Well, last year they got 40 pair. That's how we started. And this year now we've got heaps and $11,000. And we've got ASICs to give all these kids. Oh, that's what I meant to say. And one school... They said, well, we don't want to say it because it's a bit bold, but we actually got 80 families who need shoes for their children, 80. So we said, we've got 80 pairs of shoes for them. So the, the principal had passed out on the desk, said, you are joking. We said, no, we went to ASICS and they're going to give us half price. They went, what? So I said, tell the 80 families, we can do it. So in our church now, everybody's like, oh my gosh, it's rising. So started small. In one year, it's going to be crazy. So pray, be faith-filled, but just bite-size it. And now I'm hoping one day that we take all those shoes to Africa. Put them on the children's feet. Be faith-filled. Don't be crazy. Ask God. Take a step. I've got to say don't be crazy because there's a long history of us being crazy. <laughs> don't be crazy. But take another step. There's a miracle on the way to your community, to your city, somebody. And there's people there who want to help. We've had three businessmen give us $4,000, $5,000, $3,000 who suddenly got inspired, who want to help. Father, just thanks for everybody, Lord. I just pray, God, as we just share around coffee, Father, now, be with everyone. Fill us all with faith, Lord, and help us to keep bite-sizing the great vision that you have in our town and in our uh, church. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. God bless you.